We're going to step out in faith today. Uh, we have technology. So, new technology, which means everything will work perfectly. Uh, so, I'm going to attempt to trust uh, that what is up here is here. Uh, so, um, I do know, however, that all of this was made by man, so I'm a little skeptical. Um, but uh, make it a little bit more uh, conducive to, to preaching here. Um, <clears throat> we're going to dive right in, uh, if you will. Uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, because I know that you are all dying to know how last week's story ends. Um, we're talking about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I know you guys don't know how that story ends. Uh, <laughs> when uh, the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, uh, came out, uh, my... My wife's brother he says, uh, "Boy, that ending really hooked me. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that." So, um, Daniel chapter three, we are going to look at the the end of this. Uh, so, beginning in verse nineteen. So we know that uh, we we left off with um, with this situation kind of up in the air as far as these men were concerned, not knowing what their fate was, but they were. Listen, we don't answer to you. We don't care about anything you have to say. We, we answer to one that's more powerful. And it was up to, to God to, um, to save them or not save them. It was up to Nebuchadnezzar to decide what he was going to do. And this is how it turns out. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than usually. I don't know what you have a furnace like this out in the middle of the desert for. That's one big barbecue. Um, but uh, they had the ability to make it really hot. Uh, and uh, so he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. This is interesting here. I don't know what this signifies, he says, but... Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments. I don't know to protect. I don't know if that's even talking about Abed, uh, Abednego and all these others, or, or if this is talking about their soldiers, They're trying to keep from uh, from getting burnt to a crisp. I don't know. Anyway, they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace really hot. The flame of the fire killed the men who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Nothing gets by King Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, uh, he was astonished. He got up, and he spoke to his counselors, saying, Did we not throw three men into the middle of this fire? And they said, Yes, this is true, O king. Look, he said, I see four men loose, walking in the middle of the fire, they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth one is like the Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, and governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw that these men, on whose bodies the fire had no power, the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of the fire was not on them. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word, 
And they've yielded their bodies so that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will make a decree that any people, nation, or language which says anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses will be made into an ash heap because there is no other god who can deliver like this. And so the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So as I say, we have the cliffhanger. Now you know how it turns out. Uh, and I think one of the things that we think of when we, when we go through this, this book as a, as a whole, or at least the, the first six chapters, um, looking at Nebuchadnezzar, uh, is uh, have you ever wondered how this guy, he, he does this pendulum swing. He's like, believe in God, and, and oh, wonderful, and uh, you know, with, with Daniel, oh, that dream was great, and, and, oh, and so he believes in God, and then, and then we, we, we turn over to the next chapter, now he's not believing in God, and, and now we read the end of this one, oh, yeah, yeah this is great, and, and, and now he believes in God again, and so, so we kind of have this view, uh, I think, of, of Nebuchadnezzar, that, that he's going, he's this pendulum swinger. He just, and, and sometimes I think, you know, we know people that do that. Maybe we, we've even done that. Kind of we feel high and then we feel low. Um, and we have this view of, of Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's unrealistic um, in terms of, and we're going to look at some of the things that I think place properly a little bit more how Nebuchadnezzar really is. But most times there's, there's more of this... Uh, Progression, and you have a little bit of a high, and this is more, I think, indicative of, of Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's not quite a pendulum swinger. He, he kind of goes up and down a little bit, but we're going to see that, that he's more on a smooth progression towards God. And I don't know if he, you know, to what degree he ever got there. We really don't know the final story, um, and, and we have very few details. We only have a few events in the life of Nebuchadnezzar to know exactly. Uh, what his thoughts were. Uh, so we're going to be looking today at progress. Uh, and his progress towards God uh, shows us a little bit of the process that is involved in, in our interactions and in our life and how we view um, the world around us, uh, view relationships and, 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 and view spirituality. So I want to talk about a couple things from, from we're going to look at three things here that show, show this progress. Uh, the first one we need to talk about is some baby steps. Uh, we have a distorted view, I think, because of some things uh, in the text, um, especially uh, the text I read. Different versions that you might read will, will be a little bit more accurate. I read from the New King James, and there's, there's a couple of errors. Um, there are common problems that we have in understanding the Scriptures. Now, it, it's not really going to make major differences in doctrine, uh, but when you know, we, we look at translation, the Bible itself is fine. You know, the original text is fine, there's no problems there. But the problem, much like our technology, is that the people who translated were men. They were not inspired men. And so sometimes they, they kind of put their thoughts into the words that they choose. Here's a Greek word or here's a Hebrew word. And, and, and it's got all these definitions. I, I know this from experience living overseas and, and trying to pick words uh, to, to, you know, and I've got, I've got an English-Russian dictionary and, and then there's all these words. And I picked wrong words sometimes and, and my translator's like, that's not really the word you're looking for in that. Oh, okay. So they, people would, you know, I'd be preaching and I, I would, there was a, maybe about six months where I actually tried to preach in Russian. 
a lot of migraine headaches uh, in, in, the, in the pews, and so we decided to go back to, to going through a translator. And, you know, you'd, you'd be, and they would be working with you, and you could kind of see their understanding, and then all of a sudden they'd just be looking at you like, didn't understand that one. Uh, and, and I think sometimes it's the same problem, is, is, is we have a little bit of a distorted view because of the words. You know, here's a word, and, and they chose to translate it this way. Maybe a bias, or maybe they just didn't know, and they kind of uh, shot in the dark. But sometimes a little word can, can change the meaning of something, you know, in our understanding. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a word that's not even there. A lot of times these, these words, uh, they, they had a, a way they speak. Uh, you ever heard someone say, uh, I'm going to go with? Uh, can I go with? I always go, with who? There's supposed to be another noun that comes after that. Right? Well, other languages do that. And, and they would leave a word out because by, by context, they can understand that and they know how to fill that in. Right? Um, a great example is, is um, in, and I've probably shared this before, but, but uh, Jesus, when he's found at the temple and his, his, his parents finally find him and he says, uh, don't you know I must be about my father's what? Business? What, what's another one? Work? Any other translations you know of? House? You know, I must be about my father's house, is one translation. And you know that there's no word there. It literally says, don't you know I must be about my father's? Your father's what? There's supposed to be a noun there. Right? So, so the word that you pick to fill in that, because we're in English and we like there to be a direct object, I believe. Um, was that a direct object? I'm getting a nod of approval. Good. Um, is... Uh, is, is that depends on a little bit of my understanding. It's not going to change a lot of doctrine, but it, it's kind of important. And so, so there's little things in here. Um, and so, as I say, translators are human too. Now, I overreach. I have a tendency to overreach, to prove my point. Right? We like to prove our point. We like to be right. Uh, and so when I talk sometimes, uh, and you'll notice this in discussions, sometimes people will go a little too far to prove their point. And so translators might have had a view, and they're looking for... Maybe words to, to translate these, and they, they go a little bit too far. And I want to show you an example. In Daniel chapter 3.25, we're going to correct just a few details, and we're going to see that, that Nebuchadnezzar is not really a pendulum swinger. And that's kind of the intent of this. Uh, Daniel 3.25 says, He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. And we go, what? Wow, see, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Don't you, that what that looks like to you? Wow, here's an Old Testament verse that talks about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, and here's Nebuchadnezzar saying, this is the words of Nebuchadnezzar was Jesus. I mean, wow, this guy was really getting it. And that's why, uh, you know, when we see him, like, why didn't he get this a second before? And then, and then he was way down here, like, you know, a few seconds before this. But, but at the end of chapter 2, he's like all gung-ho about God. And that's why we get this view of him as this pendulum swinger. Uh, a swinger. So, uh, this is not really accurate. Uh, this mostly comes, if you've got, depending on your version, you might have, a, you already know where I'm going. If you've got like an ESV or if you've got a New American Standard, you already know where I'm going. And we're going to look at what this is. Uh, so, so, as we say, the first thing is, wow, Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament. Um, because of this reference to 
the Son, the Son of God. Uh, to us, um, we need to look at a word here, the. Kind of a small word. I say sometimes small words signify. That's a, what we call a definite article. And we know our articles in English are a and the. And they didn't have that. They just had the. They either had the or not the. This is why when you hear a lot of foreign language, like especially in Russian, Russian works the same way. You'll hear how, you know, the way they talk. I must go to store. You know, where's all the articles? They didn't have them. Uh, and and they, in Hebrew, they had a definite article. And they either was a specific thing. So when you say the sun, wow, the sun, you are the sun. That's one. That's a specific one. Um, this word is bar. You, you've heard of that before. Simon bar Jonah, right? Simon, son of Jonah, uh, is, is a reference Jesus is talking to, to Peter. Uh, and so if it would be a definite article, I know this is boring, uh, but it's, it's important. It's, it's important. If it, would, if it would be, in Hebrew, if it would be a, a, a definite article, like a specific son, it would be Lebar. I don't know if they spoke French. It sounds French. Lebar. Uh, but when, when, uh, when Jesus says Simon bar Jonah, he doesn't say Lebar Jonah. It's not the only son. See, Peter's got a brother. He's not the only one. And so this word here has no prefix. So, all of that means what? Uh, it's, it's not specific. It, it's a son. Um, well, at least, at least he believed in monotheism. I mean, a son of God. Right? And Nebuchadnezzar comes to this idea. Wow, he's, he's gone. Well, now this you know. Uh, we, we've talked about Elohim, and we've talked about cherubim, and we've talked about seraphim. And we know that uh, a Hebrew ending for plurality is im, or in, depending on the words there. They, they, they would uh, change im or in. They would end to, add to the end of it. And unfortunately, um, this has a plural ending. So the reality is this is the translation. And those of you who have a Bible, that's, that's a little bit more accurate. The King James translators, while very, very good, kind of overreached. They were looking for proof of uh, theology, original theology, anywhere they could find it. And so they translated this, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, as really accepting Jesus Christ as, and, and I mean, he was all in. Pure doctrine. When the reality is, he was now accepting God, uh, or this being, as a son, a son of gods, right? Uh, some sort of deity or something from a deity. Now, we need to, to back up just a little bit and understand that, and I can say this, and, and I'll, I'll, I don't really have a good pulpit to duck from tomatoes um, up here. Christ was not the son in the Old Testament. You need to understand that that is a specific relation. Christ existed as he is in his person and, and, and in his identity and his equality with God and all of that. Christ was not the Son of God in the Old Testament. This is the only reference you could ever find in the Old Testament to even get close to that. There is no reference to the Son of God. Sons of God 
in, in the Old Testament were references to angels, actually, the sons of God. Right? Uh, uh, and, and, and so this is kind of what and we even read in here that Nebuchadnezzar kind of likens him to an angel. Christ's identity as a son has to do with his submission to a plan. It has to do with him uh, a specific relationship of submitting to this to the salvation plan and being the one that came and was incarnated as a human being and submitted to death, death of a cross, and then resurrected. And all of our phrases, and all of a sudden, miraculously, isn't it interesting? Coincidentally, in the New Testament, we have this Son of God, Son of God, Son of God, Son of God, Son of, Son of Man, Son of Man. These are where the references come, because that's when He chooses this role. It's kind of like they, they say, you know, uh, uh, President Lincoln was born in a log cabin. No, he wasn't. Abraham Lincoln was. He became president later. Uh, Jesus was always who Jesus was. But his role as a son of God, that comes on earth. It's a specific relationship he has. And so so this looking for that in the Old Testament is not going to be found. And and Nebuchadnezzar couldn't possibly have that concept. And so, so he's not on this pendulum swing. Our interactions with people require these baby steps because people come to doctrine slowly. We want them to grab it all at once. We, we, and, and we would love for people to get it. And sometimes people do get it quickly, but that's really not reality. We get upset when they don't grab it all. Like, or, or sometimes they'll seem to be getting it and then boom, they're done. But people are on this... Get a little closer... And they might back away. And that's really what we can expect. Baby steps. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. These men are are doing what they can do to influence him to get closer. And sometimes Nebuchadnezzar backs off and now he's angry or whatever. But he's dealing with the natural process that we all deal with of coming to an acceptance of, of God. So we've corrected a few details. As we look at progress, the next thing we need to look at is that defeat is progress. We don't like defeat. We don't like the negatives. But in chapter 3, verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and frustrated the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. I want to tell you that frustration is reality. This is reality, and Nebuchadnezzar is dealing with it in spades. Frustration is not so much a human emotion as it is a human experience. It is what happens when our ideas and plans and objectives that we have so incredibly and smartly laid out meet reality. And so, like Nebuchadnezzar, we feel that this is a negative because we interpret the results as something that's not supposed to happen. I made my plans. Therefore, whatever is happening in reality is wrong. I have my plans. God, I made my plans. Life, I made my plans. 
other people. I made my plans. I don't care about your plans. So we are frustrated. Nebuchadnezzar made his plans. Not working out so hot. Well, it was hot, but it wasn't working out. My ability to strategize is more powerful than reality. So reality is incorrect. So Nebuchadnezzar declares, my plan has been frustrated. Life is evident. Life is evidence. We need to look at that when we are frustrated and and things are negative. We need to understand that in those moments, that's where the real evidence occurs to the people around us. The verse before verse 28 is interesting because that's where we see all the miracles happening, right? The, the, the verse, a couple of verses before this, this is where he sees the, the man walking around in the, in the fire and then verse, verse 27 goes, they pulled him out and, and, and they didn't smell like smoke. They didn't, I mean, it was amazing. Now, they didn't pull a fourth guy out. He's, you know, no one knows where he went. They just pulled three guys out. Like they reached, I don't know how they got him out. Really interesting. I'm not sure how that happened. I mean, just people got close to the fire and, and died. So I'm not sure how they ever got him out. Maybe they're just like, can you guys come out here? We, we don't want to get close. They could walk out. But I want you to notice what impacts Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't the, the miracle of, of, uh, of them even surviving that impacts um, it, it wasn't the like the amazingness of uh, uh, of the clothes not even being singed. It wasn't. It wasn't even this majestic being. The the vision of this. Maje- I would think that you would see that shiny guy or whatever that was walking around, and you'd be like, "Wow, that's impressive." And I want you to to draw your attention to what impresses Nebuchadnezzar. In all the supernatural things that could be said, nothing, it wasn't a a supernatural thing that grabbed Nebuchadnezzar's attention. He recognizes a couple of things. He says they yielded their bodies. Wow. They yielded their bodies. Do not assume that people do not observe your sacrifice. We, we kind of think that, that uh, I do all this stuff and nobody recognizes it. And I'm really trying, don't assume that people don't see it. Now, they might not say it. I'm sure they would have much rather that Nebuchadnezzar noticed it while they were, you know, okay, well, listen, Nebuchadnezzar, um, you can do this, whatever you want. If God just saves us, whatever. But, but we're not going to listen to you. Wow, they're willing to yield their bodies. Okay, you know what? Turn that thing off and, and we're going to go away. That would, they, they were willing to yield their bodies. I'm sure they would have much rather preferred that outcome to the story that, that he would have observed that at that point in time. But they kind of had to go through the process. Do not assume that people aren't observing. This is what grabs his attention. They were willing to sacrifice. Among all the things that Nebuchadnezzar could have 
paid attention to. That's what grabbed him. The accolades might not come immediately. But if we stick with it, if we are willing to accept a defeat, in a sense, that's where evidence is. That's where the evidence was. To, to, to get him to whatever he got to, at least accepting something about God more than he had prior to. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Life is evidence. Your defeats, your successes, whatever it is. We've seen successes in here become evidence. But defeat is also, because that's all a part of life. My defeats, my successes, it's all life. And life is evidence for those around us. The third thing we're going to look at. I want to talk about trial and error because this is progress. People have lots of answers for life, life's dilemmas. Right? People have some basic needs. We've talked about this. Uh, we have uh, spiritual needs. Right? People want identity or they want a purpose. And, and we can go through that whole list. Uh, people have emotional needs. And it, I'm not saying that the, the people are weaker for this. We have basic uh, desires uh, for acceptance or for happiness, right? And we mentioned that. We want to feel good. Unfortunately, people's answers to these things range, they have a, a range of, of things that they... We might look for achievements, right? I want, I want to have a sense of purpose, so, so I might have a, an achievement or some kind of mission that I'm on. Uh, I might look for positive affirmation. Uh, I might look for, like a, we talked about, a group, a, a group that will kind of make me feel good. Or, or I might seek avoidance things. And this is unfortunately where a lot of people go through. They, they go to avoidance issues. They might get into drugs or alcohol or video games or books or whatever. Shopping at the mall. Something that makes them feel good that they can avoid life with sleep. Depression, various things like that lead to avoidance issues. And these are people's answers. And you notice that there's things that we go, well, achievement isn't so bad. I mean, the last one, that's kind of sketchy, but um, achievements are okay. I've done something. Solomon uh, details from, we're not going to read it in the book of Ecclesiastes, from chapter 114 through chapter 2, verse 17, he details his own. And now, uh, Solomon is an overachiever in the Mott's ways, so he decided he was going to try all of those things. And um, so he, de he details his attempts to satisfy these needs. I want to look at one verse, his conclusion. He says, I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, go back and look at the list of things that he did. And there's, they're across this spectrum. Solomon's 
attempts to satisfy the whole inside of him are across this spectrum. They range uh, from um, productive, very productive, down to diversionary, just neutral kind of things. Entertainment. Not bad. He had he had a band. You know, he come in a symphony. Well, that's not bad. It's cultural. And then it kind of got down to uh, maybe some more dangerous things. Right. Substance abuse. Yes, Solomon talks about substance abuse. Alcohol problems. I tried to make all go away with alcohol. Right. right down to the very, very immoral. And we know the history of Solomon. Thousands of women that he thought was going to solve his problem. Right. So there's this continuum that it slides down. But he says all of it was useless. Now, even the really productive things, all the building projects and everything, the, the achievements that people look for to, to fulfill their lives, he says that was useless too, really. When I, when I think about how much time I spent doing it. And so people do this trial and error. And, and the people we're around that we interact with are on this trial and error thing. They're trying this, and they're all excited about, you know, the people that, and you probably have people that, that are really good at trying lots of stuff. I mean, some people, they, they just kind of beat their head against the wall with one thing. But some people, they, they're, they're trying this thing, and then they're trying this thing, and then they're going to try this thing, and everything's going to be something that's fulfilling. That's Solomon. And they've got a trial and error. And that's kind of his thing. He, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to do this. This will bring fulfillment. And this will bring, and this, maybe this worship of this God. And he's, he's doing this too. He's a human being. And we all do the same things. And this is Nebuchadnezzar's... There's a, a, a two-step process for Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to talk about experiencing... The superior. Uh, chapter 3, verse 29 says, Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. First, we have to experience the superior. Nebuchadnezzar had to be brought to the to the fact that he's not where he's not in. We already talked about this. He's, he's not believing God purely as God exists, but he has to first be brought to the thing where God is better. First, recognize God is better. That's progress. A lot of people get so upset because people don't grab it all at once. But let's. Take some baby steps. Let's have some progress. Let's Okay, trial and error. And through this process of trial and error, he realizes, hey, here's something that works a little bit better than anything else I've tried. God is the better option. It works better. 
Matthew 13, 45-46. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Eventually, eventually, people will realize God is not just a better option. He is the only option. These are the pearls here. What good are they? I have got the pearl. I have found the pearl. And all these others, all these achievements, all these entertainment, whatever they are, all these diversions, they are useless. I do believe that Nebuchadnezzar got really, really, really close in his life. I don't know how close. But we see this trajectory over his life. Eventually we have to trust that through our difficulties and, and, the, and experiences, and as people observe them, that they will come to the knowledge that God is better and that we may be able to convince them that God is only. That there aren't many other gods. God is not just a better option. So as we close, I want to leave with a question. I cannot control what other people think. I cannot control their trajectory. It frustrates me. <laughs> How can you not get it? I've explained it. And I am a good explainer. You're not getting it. Here's what I can handle. I am a display. That's my job. My job is to be a display of the fact that there's only one door that saves. There is only one door that saves. Maybe you haven't recognized that, or maybe you have not approached that door yourself. Or maybe you have approached yourself and you have accepted it for yourself, but other people don't recognize it. Whatever the situation, whether it's, whether it's this morning, you have an opportunity to make that official and say, I am going through the one door. These other doors make no difference to me anymore. Or whether you leave there and say, I have to show other people that I really trust one door. And trust that. And trust people to observe that. Don't try to control them. And trust them to know and to begin their own progress.